The preach that I'm going to preach on this morning is called Not Giving the Enemy a Foothold. And, um, and while I don't want to give any glory to the enemy for anything that he does, the Bible does say that we should not be unaware of the enemy's schemes. So I'm trying to give you some tools this morning that we can move forward from this place in greater measure of freedom, effectiveness, and glory to God. So I'm hoping that that is going to be where we go. And by the end of this preach, I'm hoping that you're going to understand what does it mean to give the enemy a foothold? How does the enemy use that foothold? foothold um, and how do we deal with some of the footholds that may already be in our lives? And how do we get rid of those things to the glory of God? So if you wouldn't mind turning with me in your Bibles to Ephesians 4, verse 26 to 27. And it says, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. And I'm not saying that it's only anger that will give you a foothold, but there are many ways that the enemy would seek to establish a foothold in your life. And what is a foothold? What is it for those of you who don't know? A foothold is, is um, defined as a secure strategic position from which one can advance. For those of us who are a little bit more gray, we would have studied and understood the Second World War. Nowadays, I don't know what you guys are studying in terms of history, but it's probably not this. So I'm going to set the scene for you in this one. The world is at war. The Nazis have advanced throughout Europe. They're, they're pressed all the way down into France. They've, they've taken over most of what is modern-day Europe. And the world is starting to rally. And the world has rallied and fighting has been taking place. And there comes a time when the Allied forces understand that, look, if we don't, if we don't actually advance into Germany, if we don't take the fight to the enemy, we're actually going to lose this war. We need to push back. And effectively, what they decide to do is they decide to do multiple beach landings on the, on the beaches of Normandy, which is in France, and they gather all their troops. But there's such a lot of planning. I've watched some documentaries on this. The guys are, are, are setting up. They, they had inflatable tanks that they put in certain places so that when the, the surveillance airplanes of the Germans would come over, they would see these tanks amassing in a certain area and think that the attack was going to come from that place. But then the day comes for the attack. And involved in this initial strike force on June 6, 1944, is 7,000 naval vessels, manned by around 195,000 naval personnel from eight different countries. There was about 133,000 troops, men, young men, as, as young as my son, who's 16, two old men that stormed this beach. And over 10,000 people, 10,000 men lost their lives in one day to establish this foothold. They're fighting uphill. The Germans are in a position of, of elevation. Sorry. Um, the Germans are in a place of elevation and they're firing down and men are fighting tooth and nail to win this beach. And eventually, at the end of the day, they win that beach. And as a result, within one month, by June 30th, there's 850,000 men on that beach that have moved through that area. There's 148,000 vehicles that have now entered into Europe and are now starting to take the fight up. And there's over 570,000 tons of equipment and supplies that's there to support this attack. The reason that I'm telling you this is to let you know that when a foothold is opened, it might just be one beach or four different landing areas. 
But once that was opened, within a month, there was a significant force. And effectively, when that beachhead, when that foothold was established, Germany was actually defeated at that moment already. It might have taken a couple of months and maybe a year to actually effect that all the way up into Berlin. But the foothold, the strong, the foothold gave them a position to start building forward into Germany and starting to actually build what we would call a stronghold. And they could move from stronghold to foothold to foothold to stronghold. And actually, they ultimately won the war. And you see, the enemy is looking for a similar foothold into each of our lives. He's looking for a foothold into your life. And he's looking for a foothold into our life. He's looking a foothold into the church. He's looking for a foothold into the world. And why is that? You see, because he understands that if, if we as the church, as we as the called up ones, as we as the disciples of Christ start to unite and we ally together and we start to take ground that was previously owned by him, we start to become incredibly dangerous. And we start to claw back the ground that Christ already won for us at the cross. We start to take it back in the natural. And he is going to do absolutely everything he can to stop us. How do we resist? What are the, what are the weapons of our warfare? And in Ephesians 6 verse 16, this, the, the context of Ephesians 6 is talking to us about how you know, the, the armor of God and all these things. And it says above all, it's taken us through all of the different facets of it, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, all the belt of truth, all of these things. But it says, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. It's strong language. This is war language. It's not, this is not wishy-washy stuff. This is the stuff of war. And I want to say to you that if you're in this church and if you are a follower of Christ, you are in a war. Choose to believe it or not. For the people that are currently in Israel and Gaza, whether they want to believe it or not, there is war raging and they're in it. They can't deny it. You can't wish it away. You are in it. And we are all in it. And we need to be prepared, as Chantal was saying, to be purified so that we can be effective warriors. Because our time is short and there's many, many, many people out there that don't yet know him. That if he did come back tomorrow, would be lost forever into unimaginable hell, pain, and suffering. So we need to be those that are prepared. And how do these, how do these fiery darts, what does it look like? What's an example of how it can, can come at us? So some of them are like quite in your face, and some of them are slightly less subtle. You see, the enemy is not just playing a short game. He's been around for centuries, He's playing the long game, and he's patient. He doesn't, he doesn't always want to kill us. Sometimes he just wants to make us passive. So you wake up one morning. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but maybe some of you have experienced this. It's been load shedding overnight. The fan is not working. Your little mosquito thing is not working. The mozzies are flying around your room trying to establish their own foothold in your lives. <laughs> And the whole night you just have not slept. Because of the load shedding, your alarm didn't go off, so you've woken up late. You rush through, get the kids ready, everyone's in the car. You get to the car, I need to realize, but the, the, the lights were left on and the battery's flat. 
So now you need to get someone, you need to restart your car, you zoot the kids off to, to, to the school, the teachers are, are fighting with you because the kids are, slow, are late. Why are your kids late? You get to work, you get the bosses going, why are you guys late? Can you imagine that that would be a foothold-ripe environment? I'm pretty sure some of us would be slightly less than pleasant in our interactions with each other, and the enemy can use that, but I think that's quite, that's quite complicit, that's quite open, we can see. But there's more subtle darts. And maybe for some of us this morning, you've come here and you grew up in a house where your father didn't give you a lot of encouragement. When you came home proudly with your report card in the old days, kids, we used to have a physical report card that you had to bring home in an envelope and you put it down in front of your parents. It wasn't the email that you could hide from. You had to face them. And sometimes, you know, for some of us, you'd kind of slip it at them and hope it would be okay. And for, I'm sure for some of you, you were quite proudly walking in and going, have a look at that. And you walk in and it's 99% dad. I've got 99%. And your dad looked at you and said, well, what happened to the other one? And you start to build this, this mentality of performance where maybe if I just, if I just get 100% on this test, Maybe the next test, if I just do a little bit more, if I work a little bit more, if I'm more diligent, if I pour my life into this, I get tutors and I work and I work and I work and I work and I get 100% now. And he goes, but what happened to the 80% on maths? It's never good enough. Never good enough. And in your heart, discouragement and rejection starts to take root. It's a little foothold that gets established in our hearts, even before we knew Jesus. Then suddenly we come into the life of the church and the Lord extends His grace and He comes and finds us and He pulls us into the body. And we think, surely here, I will find appreciation, I will find family, people will love me, they're finally going to see me. And you become really involved in church. You're the first person here on a Sunday. You are doing everybody's job for them. You're setting up the coffees and teas. You're packing out the chairs. You're setting up the kids' church. You're doing all the rest of these things. You're working incredibly hard. And the leader walks in. And you're thinking to yourself, surely he's going to see. Surely he, being a man of God, surely he or she, being a leader in the house, is going to see how hard I'm working. And you, you go to them and you greet them, waiting for your affirmation. And the leader who's got a hundred other things on his mind for that morning goes, hey, we're lucky to see you. I'm so glad you're here. And he moves on. And shock and horror. All of a sudden, the one that you thought was going to validate you has just missed it. And, and in your heart, you suddenly go, but do you not see do, do you not see how hard I work for you? Do you not see how I pour my life out for you? And a little foothold gets put in again. And then you get into notices and the, the leader comes up and he starts to work through the Sunday notice and he goes, guys, just I don't know if you've noticed, but we're growing at a rate of knots, man. It's so, so, so busy. We've got lots of room for people to serve. Won't you come and volunteer to serve? Or the leader goes, hey guys, I just want to take a moment just to honor, you know, Rian and Esther have really been working hard behind the scenes and they often don't get the, the praise that they need. So I just want to take a moment to honor them. 
<clears throat> our heart moves, and suddenly we go, hold on, I'm working my fingers to the bone here. I'm pouring out my entire life for you, for Jesus. There's nobody notices. Now you're asking for others, and then when you do say thank you, you don't even thank me. You thank somebody else. <clears throat> foothold. And then the final iteration of our foothold comes how? Oh, well, I have, to, I have to just find out if it's just me. I have, to, I have to just I have to talk about this. And you start with those faithful words or fateful words. Hey, I don't want to badmouth anybody. Hey, I don't want to talk about them behind their back. Can I just say to you, if those are the words that you hear at the start of the sentence, stop it right there. Stop it right there. I want to ask us, can we be those people that if I can say it about you, I must be able to say it to you. If I can't say it to you, I mustn't say it. Because what you're going to do is you're going to help other people to fit a couple of footholds into their house. But let's go back to our scenario. So we meet and I say to Shomain, Shomain, you know, I don't want to say anything about Rian. I really don't. I love him. He's a great guy. Really respect him. You know, he's an elder in the house. It's all those good things there. But you know what, eh? just find he never, he never appreciates me. He never takes the time to say thank you. He never sees what I do. You know, and actually, to tell you the truth, I'm quite discouraged and dejected. <laughs> and Charmaine being the loving, kind, mercy-hearted person that she goes, oh, shame, man. Yeah, I know it's really tough. You know, in the church that I was in three years ago, the pastor was just like that. I poured my life out for him. I was first at every meeting and the last to leave. And you know what? I never got a thanks either. Maybe it's actually an older thing. Maybe it's a leader's thing. They just don't see. They just want us to give, give, give. Now what's happened? Now we've moved from a, strong, from a, from a foothold to a stronghold. Now we've got a serious problem. Because not only has our foothold affected us, but I've now brought, brought Romaine into my little story. Now we have an offended brother. And let's have a look and see what the word says about an offended brother in Proverbs 18, verse 19. It says that an offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. Arguments separate friends like a gate locked with bars. I don't know that we would understand necessarily a fortified city in our modern times, but I'm pretty sure those of you with good safety uh, safety guards and, and burglar guards and security investments at your home understand what a secure house looks like. Once we're an offended being, once I have lost relationship with you, once trust is broken, once that stronghold has been established, we can't go anywhere together. It's like a stake that's been driven into the ground fortified with cement and we get tied to it and suddenly I can no longer journey with you because I'm stuck. And quite often what will happen as leaders is very unintentionally, I can tell you that nothing that I've described to you here is the heart's intention of any good leader. It really isn't and if it is the heart's intention they shouldn't be in leadership. But suddenly I'm walking along thinking that you're with me and off we go and we're trucking down the road and all of a sudden I look back and whoa, where, where, what happened to Sean? Where's Charmaine? Suddenly they're not there. 
When I ask for something, there's never anything done. There's no response. Suddenly, we, there's this breakdown. When I'm sending messages of encouragement, those are no longer seen. I don't get any responses on my WhatsApp. They've left the group. Suddenly, this breakdown, and now we can't advance the kingdom. No longer are we moving forward into the enemy's territory. We're stuck. And I want to say to you that the enemy doesn't necessarily always want to destroy you or get you out of the faith. But there was a father in the house in, in just a generation church called Will Marie. Wonderful man who we all miss greatly because he went to be with the Lord probably two years now, a year and a half ago. But he always used to say this about some people. He'd say, you know what? That person, they're still in the faith. They're just not in the fight. And when we get stuck through a fence or the strongholds and the footholds that have been created in our lives, we stop being effective. We stop being able to move forward. And that's why when we read in Ephesians 6, it says, Above all, take up your shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. When those thoughts come, we quench it with that. And one of the things that we do is we use Scripture and we look back at things like 1 Corinthians 13 where it says love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Strongholds don't get created in that ground because nothing that you can do is going to hurt me because I'm just going to love you through it. I'm going to believe through it. So how do we deal with these things? How do we pull these things down? For many of us, these are deep-seated. They've been in us for years, and we didn't even know they were there. If you look at your life and see a pattern of destructive behavior, a pattern where when something happens, it triggers an, a response in you that is negative, derogative, it's, it's hurtful, it's evil, perhaps what's happened is a stronghold has been activated in your life, and you're now starting to respond out of that. We need to look at those patterns in our own lives. Let our wives and our husbands and our elders and our leaders look at our lives and say, hey, I see this. Why? Because I want you free. I want to break that stronghold down so that we can journey together. We can go forward. Ephesians 6, I would, I would recommend all of you go home and read it. It's brilliant. But Ephesians 6 from 11 to 18 details exactly what we need to do. We need to put our armor on daily. All of the various aspects of the armor are there. The shield, the helmet, the shoes, the belt buckle, the breastplate, it's all there. But we have to go to Him and ask Him to anoint us for battle every single day. Because the battle is unceasing whether you're armored up or not. The only thing that changes is how resilient you're going to be in the battle. We have to go to the Lord every day for grace and for mercy. We live our lives on our knees before the Lord, realizing, first of all, that we have been extended an amazing grace. And because of that great mercy, because of His amazing kindness, we are able to extend grace and kindness to someone else. But when we neglect fellowship with Him, when we're no longer working on our vertical relationship, suddenly, and, and how many of you have experienced this, when your quiet times start to be a little bit... Mm, Suddenly your horizontal relationships start to go wonky. It's suddenly you don't have as much grace for your kids anymore. Suddenly everything that your wife does, she sits next to you and chews and it makes you want to go mad. Not that she does that. 
But you understand what I'm saying? Like as our relationship with the Lord starts to suffer, as we're not equipped for the battle we're in, we suddenly start to see, hold on, my other relationships are no longer working. So we need to do those. Also, I want to say to you, we take every thought captive. The scripture to 2 Corinthians 10.5, it tells us this. It says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive and we are to obey Christ. I want to say to you, do you realize, you know someone said this to me a couple of years ago, and it was like someone hit me with a freight train. And I'm hoping it'll have a similar effect with you. And it's so incredibly basic. And he said to me, Sean, do you realize that you have control over your thoughts? Can I tell you, you have control over your thoughts. They are your thoughts. But the fiery dart gets shot off. It hits. And now the train starts to gain momentum. And the more we roll it, and the more we allow it to become part of us, the faster that train starts to go. And before you know it, we're, this train is a freight train that's out of control, and we can no longer find even our way back. We don't even know where it started because it's got so much momentum. When that fiery dart gets fired at you, we take it captive. We put it in a prison. We isolate it from the rest of our understanding. We go, is this right? Is this true? You know, in, in Philippians 4, 8, you don't have it. It says to us that we should ask ourselves, is it true? Is it noble? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it trustworthy? Is it praiseworthy? That's the grid that we run our thoughts through. And if it stops at any of your filters, that thought is not from the Lord. It is the fiery dart sent to create a foothold in your heart. And we are warriors. We can take these things. God has given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the comforter. He's given us the advocate. What does an advocate do? He argues cases. He helps us to measure what's coming in. What is the stimulus that's been shifted towards me? The taxi cuts in front of me on way. I have a choice. I have a choice. I can control my thoughts and I can go, you know what? It offends me. It offends me that, you're, that you care so little for my safety, for the safety of my family, for the rules of the road, that you would come in front of me. But when I go back to Corinthians, it says that love covers all. It endures all. And I run it through the filter of Christ. I run it through the mind of Christ. And I go, you know what? Bless you. I pray that you don't cause any accidents today. It's not easy. I'm not saying to you that this is book and pluck and you walk out here today and everything's done. I wish I could. I wish I could deposit it. I wish it was deposited in me. But it's something we war for, we fight for. And that's why God's given us tools. That's why he's given us answers. Armor. We don't fight the wrong enemy. Ephesians 6, 12, and I haven't put it up there, but it says that our battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, we love to find something to hit. We love to have someone to blame. We love to have someone that I can look at. 
and see that what I've done has been effective. But the Bible clearly says that our warfare, our, 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 our fight is not against, our battle is not against the person that's sitting next to you. That means your husband, your wife, your child, your boss, your granny, your grandpa, whoever it is. Your fight is not with that person. It's against the enemy. It's against the enemy of our souls and his forces that are constantly pushing and prodding and trying to break down that which Christ has built up. And we engage them where? In the quiet place. We have to run to the Lord daily as situations happen. Trevor has guys coming into his, into his office and saying, hey man, I'm associated with the gang here. If you don't let up, we're going to do stuff. That could bring fear to the heart of most of us. Oh my goodness, I've got a family. But how do we respond? Shalom goes, hey guys, this is, there's some serious stuff going down. Let's pray. And the saints gather and we submit that thought and we go, we're not given a spirit of fear but a power, love and a sound mind. And we rally together and we, we charge heaven. And what does God do? Loves to respond to the prayers of his people and he comes and he extends grace. Protection. Sometimes you've got to fast. And I'm not just talking about food. I found myself just recently, I'll share a little bit vulnerable. I found myself recently getting very caught up on social media in the situation that's playing out in the Middle East. I started watching too many videos and, and, and eyewitness accounts in it, and it started to affect me. My heart started to grow angry, filled with hate towards these people that would do that to men, women, and children. God's win, women, and children. And the feeder, the trigger of it was social media, Facebook, Instagram, News 24. And suddenly I felt I couldn't sleep at night anymore. And I felt the Lord say to me, Sean, you need to fast. And you can know, I went to my wife in accountability. I said to my girl, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm off Facebook. I'm off Instagram. I'm not going to be involved in that just for a while. Just to let my, myself be cleansed. To let what is in out. And I can tell you, it's been about a week and a bit now, and I'm feeling great. Sleeping better. I'm still praying for those people on both sides. But I've had breakthroughs. So sometimes we have to fast these things out, man. We've got to get militant with it. Part of military warfare is actually we starve out. If we siege around a, a fortified city, we starve them out. After a while, they go, hey, listen, please let us up. We need food. Our children are dying. They come out. We starve these things out. So we pray. We fast. We forgive. We forgive. So Tal and I have spent lots and lots of time, and I'm sure many of you too, working through inner healing, deliverance, those sort of ministries with people. And can I tell you, in almost every single person that we've ministered, forgiveness has been one of the key, I want to say almost gears, in a person's heart that allows everything else to flow from it. Anger, rage, unforgiveness, even sickness sometimes. We've seen sickness come in through unforgiveness. And as people have found forgiveness in their hearts and have released those people, suddenly their health has improved. 
So we look at ourselves and we say, who am I not okay with? Genuinely okay with. Not who can I tolerate when I see them across the room, but who am I actually not okay with? And we then, we go after those things and we make right and we fix. And even if it's uncomfortable and even if it's awkward, we fight through that because we know that we're not giving the enemy a foothold into our lives. I'll move on from there. Last point. We understand our own weaknesses and vulnerabilities. See, none of us are perfect. That's the good news. You don't have to sit here today, and as I've been speaking, maybe the Lord's been convicting you of some things, and maybe you've been able to identify a few footholds in your own life. Please don't feel bad. You're not alone. We've all got them. Our parents aren't perfect. Your teacher wasn't perfect. Your husband and your wife, they're not perfect. Your kids are not perfect. I am not perfect. Your community leaders are not perfect. People are going to do things that's going to hurt you. I would hope that the people in this church wouldn't be intentional, and I'm sure it wouldn't be. But we're, we, 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 we get hurt, and through life we carry these scars with us. It's like almost we get on a, on a plane journey, but with us we're just carrying a stack of bags behind us. And every time we take off and every time we land, we've got this baggage with us that the Lord is actually coming and saying, I want, that, I want you to be free of that. I want to tell you, you can be free of it. The sun came, who the sun sets free is free indeed. There is freedom for all of us. But we have to live in community with each other. Is it not strange that when you come into church and you get into community, suddenly things start to happen? You have a view about a person and then all of a sudden they come into a community setting and suddenly you go, whoa, hold on, I never saw that. Why? Because we're in community, we're in family. And now we start to grow and God tests us and he prompts us and he moves us and he shifts us and sometimes it's messy. But God created it that way. It's not the devil, it's God allowing these things to come up so that we can lovingly recover. But we need to be able to identify, we need to be able to look inwards, not a 25-day soul-searching journey that makes you actually ultimately get to the point where you think, well, jeepers, I'm so broken, why am I even alive? And I, and I'm don't, I actually don't say that as a joke, because people will do that. Because the enemy is very effective of taking what's good and trying to corrupt it. So as we start to just do a little bit of a self-audit, suddenly we run into the first obstacle, and one of the other footholds in our life, which is called self-pity, starts to make us feel very sad and, oh, poor me. And actually what the enemy intended, what the, what the Lord intended for good, the enemy is now using for him. And now all of a sudden I'm on a self-pity spiral when actually what God was wanting me to do was just simply identify something so that we can get rid of it. That's why we need each other. That's why we need the church. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. The Lord has mercy on us. He's so kind. And if we are open and vulnerable and humble, He'll come and help us. But if we're proud and we set up strong borders around our hearts and our minds and our bodies, actually we could end up resisting God. You see, when someone sits with you and they point out something in your life that you haven't seen, often it hurts. When a leader comes and says, hey man, you know, I've just been, I've been actually 
you know, can I speak into your life? I've been watching you with your kids and I've noticed that, you know, when your kids start to get beyond a certain volume level, you actually get a little bit rough with them and you push and you pull them and you, you know, I'd, I want to encourage you. Maybe just check that. What happens in your heart? We start to defend. We start to take, uh, hold on. Well, hold on. And I want to say to you this is my final key. That when strong emotion manifests itself in your life, stop. Pump the brakes. And I would say even very, very strong positive emotion, stop. Submit that thought. Take it captive. Submit it to in obedience to Christ. Because you know what? I have made some very bad decisions with the very best intentions. Unselfish things. Lending money from a bank to give to a family member so that they're able to meet their stuff and I sit at the repayments. It's a good intention. It's a strong emotion. I can even go, Bible says, if you don't help your own family member, you're worse than an unbeliever. So I can justify it in the scriptures. But actually, the Bible also says, don't make debt. Take a moment. Pause. Wait. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. And we move forward from there. So I want to ask you as I'm going to hand over to Rian and he's going to land us. Just for one minute. Just for one minute. Just to close your eyes with me, please, if you wouldn't mind. Just ask the Lord in this moment, Lord, is there any footholds or strongholds in my heart? What gets me angry? What makes me scared? What breaks down relationships in my life? As I look back over my life, what areas has there been destruction? Maybe it's been a relationship with the opposite sex. Maybe it's been relationships within your job. Maybe it's the fact that when you look in the mirror, you hate what you see. Because all your life you've been told that you're worthless and you'll never amount to anything. So in a moment, we're going to take communion together. And I, I trust that as we do that, as you come before the Lord this morning, and surrender those things to him, that actually breakthrough will come. And then we can start to work together to unpack those things and break us into freedom. Is that okay? Amen.